You know that nativity set that's sitting in the shadows of your home right now? There's even one down in the Trinity, one of the Trinity Kids classrooms uh, that is wrong. And I'm, I'm betting you, I hate it this most wonderful time of the year to burst your bubble about this, but I'm betting you that the nativity set that you have at your house right now is wrong. Okay? Um, and, and here's why. The truth is that those three wise men that are probably sitting there right now in your nativity set, they weren't actually there. They weren't there in the cave where Jesus was born. They came in quite a bit later. And honestly, we don't even know that there were three of them. Often these groups of magi, as they were called, traveled in large groups of people. So in all likelihood, there was more than three of them. Now, your response to this shouldn't be to go home and throw your nativity set in the fire, okay? No need to take drastic measures like that. Those little incorrect details don't really change its ultimate meaning. But there are some details of the story that if we get them wrong, will absolutely bankrupt the story of all of its intended significance and meaning. So how we respond to this epic tale of love will make all the difference for us in this life and in the next. And so briefly tonight, I want to talk about three responses to the Christmas story in the text that Mel just read for us from Matthew chapter 2. These are responses to its ultimate meaning, not to its fringe details. And I hope before this Christmas season is over that we're all sort of funneled down into the last response that we'll talk about tonight. That's my prayer, at least, for all of us in here. So first, here's here's the first response we'll see in the text tonight. Some feel threatened by the birth of a baby king. Some feel threatened. Now, why would anyone feel threatened by the birth of a baby boy born more than 2,000 years ago? Well, if we look back at that first Christmas, we'll see why. Herod, he was the king of the Jews, and he was laser-focused on finding this rumored baby king. He claimed he wanted to worship the child, but but he was bluffing. You probably know this. If you skip down to verse 16 in Matthew chapter 2, you'll see that it was all a ruse. He actually wanted to kill the baby king. You see, Herod knew something. He knew that a movement of the people to crown this little baby the next king of Israel was a threat to his own power. He wasn't willing to give that up, and he was a super paranoid ruler, if you know anything about this man. History tells us that he had at least 10 wives and a bunch of kids to go along with those wives, and he had more than one of them killed on more than one instance, uh, instance because he was paranoid that they were attempting to swipe the throne from him. It was said of Herod in that day that it was safer to be his pig than to be his son. The man was paranoid, and he loved his power, and he was willing to shed blood to keep it. So the coming of another king threatened his own control of the throne. So he had to put an end to that threat, which is why you see Herod intent on killing this little baby. I think some of us in here might also be afraid of this little boy for a similar reason. We instinctively know that if this child that we celebrate every year, if this child really was God, if the story is true, then we owe him some sort of allegiance because he's God. Some of us in here tonight, we're probably a lot more like Herod than we'd like to admit. The idea of Jesus being our king, our our master, that's threatening to us, to our control, to our power. We're afraid that everything that we are and that we've worked so hard to build is going to shatter if Jesus becomes our king. 
But the Bible spins a different tale. It tells us that instead of shattering us, Jesus is the only one that can truly put us back together the way that we were meant to be. Jesus made us, and he can redeem us. Because of that, we owe him our everything. Herod despised the fact that Jesus was God. But I hope you won't this Christmas. So one response to that first Christmas baby is to feel threatened. But there's another one here. Some are intrigued, but they're indifferent about the baby king. Some are intrigued, but ultimately indifferent. So when Herod caught wind that his throne may be in peril, he called the brightest minds of the Middle East to come in and counsel him. In verse 4, Herod asked them where the Christ is to be born. And these guys don't even skip a beat. They know immediately. They don't have to look it up in their index of their Bibles. They'd studied the scriptures. They knew the answers. They even quoted a prophecy that had made hundreds of years prior about the location of the birth of the coming of the Messiah. So they had this sort of first-level grasp on the truth. But they never, they never pursued it any further. They weren't even willing to walk the five miles from where Herod's palace was into the city of Bethlehem to do some fact-checking. They didn't even go to see if the prophecy was true. I wonder if this is true of any of us in here tonight. Even if you claim to be a Christian, consider this. Have you sort of just stumbled into what you believe because that's what your family has always believed? Or maybe you go to church because it's good for your kids, not so much good for you. I wonder tonight if some of us in here have been inoculated with, with just enough morality, just enough goodness, just enough religion to actually keep us from getting to the truth, the real truth. Whenever we celebrate the holidays with my in-laws, there's this really dangerous bag that sits on the counter all holiday long. It's orange, and it's filled to the brim with the best peanut butter M&Ms. There's peanut M&Ms, those are the yellow bags, the peanut butter M&Ms and the orange bag. Those are the ones that you should shoot for this holiday season. And you cannot have just one bag of those things. Often one of those five-pound bags will be laying around, sitting there on the counter, and by the time two o'clock rolls around, you've been there during the holiday season, you need to pick me up around two o'clock. So it's either coffee or M&Ms. Typically I go with the M&Ms. But here's the problem with those things, especially the peanut butter ones. Once you pop, you can't stop. So you stroll up to the dinner table like three hours later with that gross, full, but still hungry kind of feeling because you've eaten like 674 M&Ms since lunch. You guys know that full but still hungry feeling? Oh, I know it too well. But I, I wonder if that's what some of you maybe feel in your souls tonight a little bit. You've eaten from the religion table. You've eaten from the church table. You've eaten from the philanthropy table. You love to give back. You love to pay it forward. You feel full, but kind of not, too. I wonder if that's because you haven't sunk the teeth of your soul into the all-satisfying bread of life. That baby from this text would grow up, and he would claim to be bread the last bread that you'd ever need to eat because it's the kind of bread that satisfies your soul deep down in those dark places. Can I encourage you during this Christmas season 
to explore these claims that are made by the Christian Bible, to transform your intrigue and indifference into a pursuit of the truth. Tonight, some of you probably feel a little bit threatened by this baby king. You don't want God or really anyone else prioritizing your life, controlling you. Or maybe you've been half intrigued by the notion of Jesus, but ultimately you've been unmoved. You're, you're indifferent. Like I mentioned at the outset, there's a third category though. And like I said, I hope this is the one that we all sort of filter down into by the end of this holiday season. The third category is this, some worship at the birth of the baby king. So as, as we close tonight, I really want to fight for your affections, for the heart of your affections, for your awe to be transfixed on this mind-blowing, amazing incarnation of God become man. Don't lose out this season on the sheer wonder of this thing that we celebrate. God become man to redeem men and women and boys and girls like you see in here tonight. So take a note of these magi. They came and they worshiped. They rejoiced over him there in verse 10. They bowed to him in verse 11. They gave gifts to him in verse 11. And in a way, they defended him from death in verse 12. So I hope that all of us will join the magi in awe-filled worship. And this kind of worship, this kind of awe, it only makes sense because the Christmas season has a direct line to the Easter season. This week, let's sort of press in to the awe of this. Press into the fact that this little baby boy grew up to be a man who showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. This Christmas, join the Magi in awe-filled worship. Growing up, the Hallmark movie game was strong in my house. And you guys have a strong Hallmark game? Hallmark movie game? Okay, there's one. The rest of you are lying, probably. <laughs> With four young girls, a wife, and a girl dog, I can imagine that game getting a little bit stronger in my house in the next few years. But those movies kind of all tell, uh, they kind of all tend to have the same effect as those M&Ms on us, I think. They taste good, they kind of feel good, but they always making, make us end up feeling a little bit empty. Like, do those kinds of relationships actually exist? Are they, are they possible? C.S. Lewis said this. He said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So these movies, they tell us things about ourselves even as they draw us into their magic. We all get seduced by those Hallmark movies every once in a while. But what if they're whispering something to us about the truth of our souls? What if they're saying, you are made for this kind of love? There is such thing as an eternally blissful relationship, the perfect friendship. It's not fake news. It's real news. Our response to the romance of this Christmas season should not be pure skepticism. Like, oh, it could never actually live up to the actual hype that it conveys, so why even bother? No, the feelings that this season bakes into our souls, even as we 
bake so many cookies, the feelings that this season bakes into us is a whisper of a greater reality about our souls. They're not fake feelings. They're just shadows of ultimate, real feelings. We feel this way not because this kind of love isn't out there, but because it actually is out there. And here's how we can know it is. Because Jesus came. And he's the king that you and I have always wanted. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end for this king. The Christmas story bears its teeth in the face of the American dream. And it proclaims this central, bold truth. Hear this tonight. You alone are not enough. That's a hard truth at the most wonderful time of the year. You alone are not enough. That's why God had to come in human form to rescue you and me. So this Christmas, stop thinking that you're going to muster up the goodness in 2019 to be all that. Stop thinking that with a few resolutions, you'll get right back on track. Ultimately, you won't. You're going to fall and stumble again, and so will I. And that's okay. Because Christmas came. Because hope came. Because Jesus came. So if if tonight this is like fresh news to you, or if you're a little bit skeptical, or you'd like to talk a little bit more about that, I would love to speak with you. If you'd like to hear about how Jesus can rescue you from your sin, please talk to someone maybe on your row, or you can come chat with me, or send us an email. I'll be happy to engage with you about that over coffee or something. But for the rest of us, who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, believers, God might have become little on that first Christmas morning, but he had epic, grand, gigantic plans for us. That Christ child's first soft whimper was God's war cry against the enemy, launching a global campaign to redeem and rescue all that's wrong with our world. This Christmas, wonder and worship at God become man. Merry Christmas to all of you. I'm going to pray for us as our musicians come up. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus, a gift we don't deserve, but man, we are, we are crazy out of our minds with gratefulness that you, would, that you would do this for us, that you would love us in this way. I pray that you help our hearts to be in awe of the God-man, come to rescue us from darkness, sin, and sadness. In Jesus' name, amen.